if you, uh, if you miss some of the details, it's basically a, a story of um, Jesus walking on water, very famous, and Peter, his disciple, trying to walk on water himself and doing so and sinking. And Jesus is like, dude, what's wrong with you? So that's kind of how the, the story goes. We are doing, um, like Neil mentioned, a, a month-long sermon series on this concept, doubt. Um, if you, I always kind of try to plug, plug our sermons and podcast sermons for people to listen to. And I don't know how many people actually uh, heed that encouragement, but I do highly recommend you listen to Neil's talk last week. It is online now. Um, to stroke Neil's ego is quite good. And I think very useful as we are progressing. I don't know where Virginia is preaching the last one, so who knows what she'll say. But uh, we are making a sort of progression, I think, in thoughts that is building on, building on uh, each previous week. So uh, give it a listen if you can. For you who weren't there, I'm going to briefly mention two things that Neil talked about, which I think are important to remember for what I want to say today. So quick recap. Neil talked about two types of belief. One is the first type of belief is um, a belief in what we could call propositional statements or statements uh, that contain within itself a, a particular judgment. So an example is X is true, right? Um, snow is white. Uh, babies come from female bodies and not storks, right? These are sort of propositional statements of that, so, of that sort. Uh, in the realm of these types of beliefs or statements, doubt is un- couched in sort of uncertainty. It's the idea of denying what we're saying is true. The second type of belief that he mentioned is uh, there are beliefs where the better term to think about them is something more like trust, that these beliefs are oriented around our, our sort of our particular self-relationship with things around us in the world. Um, the example Neil gave was something like, I trust you will be there for me, that kind of belief. Uh, here in this realm of belief, doubt is not uncertainty as it was in the first one, but something more like insecurity, insecurity. So uh, those are the two sort of distinct things. And, and he also uh, mentioned, and I agree with him on this fact that we often try to, we often think of religious belief, our religious beliefs as being so, sort of solely through that first lens, as if, um, you know, that the, the, the flood story in Genesis actually happened, right? Or uh, how do you know there is a God? Did you hear God? Have you seen God, right? We sort of think about our beliefs and doubts um, often in that first category. And so viewing religious beliefs in that second way uh, is maybe more appropriate, but I certainly think at the least it helps us sort of maneuver around certain anxieties we carry all the time about whether or not there is truth. I'm using these scare quotes um, purposefully, that there's truth to these things. Uh, How do you know that there is a God? The answer is, you know, not so much, here's a proof for how God is, or the cosmos revealed this thing. It's more like, I trust in my heart that God is real. So I'm going to build a little bit on those two quick, those two distinctions. of belief and try to add a little bit to that. And as I'm doing that, the prevailing question I think we need to sort of carry with, carry underneath all of this is, why do we doubt? Why do we doubt? Why do you doubt? Why do I doubt? So first, uh, these two types of beliefs, they don't, they don't exist exclusively apart from one another, right? They're always sort of 
bumping up against each other. They, they inform one another that one needs the other. So if someone says on one side, I believe it is scientific fact or real fact, or I know that babies come from female bodies and not storks. Um, and then they turn around and say, you know, I haven't been able to have a baby. I'm praying that a stork will bring me one. Um, you would think that this person had some sort of mental problem, right? That, they're, that they are sort of, uh, their two sides of their understanding of the world are in conflict somehow. And um, we would find it difficult to converse with this person, not just because you would be like, they're really weird and I don't want to be around them, but also because it'd be hard to understand what they actually thought reality looked like or what their words that they were saying actually meant. There's a philosopher, Ludwig Wittgenstein. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I said that strangely. Wittgenstein, um, he wasn't the only one who said something like this, but he made the argument that there are propositions, right? Propositions, again, are sort of statements we make that are judgments about the world um, that are reasonable to doubt, and there are other ones that are actually not reasonable to doubt. The ones that we shouldn't doubt or can't actually doubt are these foundational things uh, that make up the basis for our ability to know anything. Right, so if you, this is a quote he says, if you try to doubt everything, you would not get as far as doubting anything. The game of doubting itself presupposes certainty. So for example, and this is also Wittgenstein's example, if a blind man were to ask me, have you got two hands? I should not make sure by looking. If I were to have any doubt of it, then I don't know why I should trust my eyes. So right, there's this idea that you know, we doubt, we could doubt whatever, um, but actually it turns out that in order for us to function at all in this world, to know things, to be able to have conversations where we understand the words that are coming out of each other's mouths, we have these foundational beliefs that um, doubting them actually doesn't, uh, is not the right, they're not in the same category that doubt can actually get at. So again, beliefs, propositions, they never stand in isolation, they form, a sort of system, right? So you imagined all the things that you think about the world as being sort of like bricks in a building. Like each belief, each idea is a brick that makes up this structure, right? Um, or another analogy is that there are uh, like, a like a Jenga game, right? If you guys have ever seen that game played at bars really annoyingly. Um, it's like a bunch of wood blocks and you're supposed to like poke one out or something and when it all falls apart, you lose or whatever, right? I've never actually played, I've only judged from afar. Um, so we could think of our beliefs as a sort of system like that, right? And uh, these foundational beliefs I'm talking about, the ones that we cannot really doubt uh, are like a scaffolding of this building or they're a foundation of this building. Or another analogy, this is Wittgenstein's analogy, imagine our experience of the world and our knowledge uh, of the world as a sort of river and the foundations are the riverbed that that river runs through. Or another, another analogy would be uh, that these beliefs are sort of like the canvas upon which we paint stuff, right? And so you need to have a canvas in order for you to actually paint. And so to take on a radical skepticism, right, which is, again, this idea of doubting everything uh, actually doesn't work. It's incoherent to itself. And so because, again, you cannot actually doubt without having some sort of certainty to begin with. So there's an interesting question to me regarding how that works with religious statements like there is a God and whether or not um, the idea of there is a God is a foundational statement or uh, part of the building itself as a brick, right? And it's interesting because 
sociologists and historians and philosophers, when they sort of have given us a, um, a survey of historical thought, it's been, it's been assumed to some extent that back in the day, you know, in, Western, in the Western world, you know, like think about like medieval times, everyone believed in God. God was just sort of part of the fabric of everything. And so um, certainly back then, God made up the background on which everything was built. And then we had like the enlightenment happen and scientific, the scientific method and, and skepticism and reason and sort of all of that stuff was washed away, right? That foundation was sort of pulled, all right? That God was in essence, philosophically, theologically, maybe really murdered, uh, that God died in that moment. And so what does it mean in our historical sense that God has moved from foundation um, to being just another brick on this building, right? Perhaps a really big brick but still not, not there at the ground anymore. I wonder if that's actually true. I don't, I don't know that I believe that that's actually true. Uh, I don't know that I'm the best person to ask because I grew up from the moment I was born being taught that there was a God, right? And being taught that God loved me and that God was like this. Um, and that sort of view was very foundational to me. Uh, the view that I've had of God is as a sort of scaffolding. And so to imagine how I understand the world without that scaffolding doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I'm not really sure what that means. And even if that scaffolding, as it has been over the years, has been sort of uh, stripped down a little bit, a little beaten up by the weather or whatever, and dogs have peed on it and stuff, like I still find myself that this scaffolding is, um, is there and essential for me. In my lowest moments, even when I'm not sure if God is real, I can't help but but ask uh, for God's help. Does that make me an incoherent modern individual? Does it make me uh, like the woman who prays for a stork to bring her a baby? Um, maybe I'm, I'm a little bit more like that than I like to admit. I'm not sure. I don't have, actually want to answer that question. I think it's something for us to all think about. So, we have background pictures, we have these propositional statements, this idea that we don't have grounds to doubt everything. Um, so this is, again, sort of the idea of reasonable doubt. And the opposite of that, that we usually paint it as if someone has unreasonable doubt, we think they're crazy or that they have dementia. Um, imagine the sort of labels we place on people out there in the world that we don't understand. Uh, Kanye West is my favorite example. Um, and yeah, if we focus a little bit more towards the second part of belief, the trust part that I mentioned in the beginning, um, doubt as insecurity, insecurity, it actually makes me start questioning this idea of whether or not we can uh, appropriately doubt things. Because yes, the person who is uncertain that they have hands um, is maybe crazy, I don't know. Um, I don't get them, but I kind of get the person who might be insecure about not having hands. Does this make sense? If someone says, I am uncertain if I have hands, I'd be like, you're crazy. But if they say I'm a little insecure about if I have hands, I would be like, I kind of get maybe what you mean. And so what I'm saying is that uh, in this belief structure, the one of trust and security, we're ruled, I think, largely a lot by our mental states, our emotions, by uh, our past experiences, by trauma, by anxiety, and um, calling all things into doubt under that umbrella seems to me pretty reasonable. I shared this story maybe 
a year ago at church or a year and a half ago, if you were there, you might remember this. I talked about how sometimes I stare in a mirror and I look at my face and I like feel very detached from this face that's staring back at me. And I have, I'm not, I have this moment where I'm like, is, is that me? Am I really alive? Uh, and it just becomes like really scary. And it actually hasn't happened since I shared that story. So maybe I just needed to confess it one time. But um, there in that moment, you know, it's like I'm doubting my very existence, which seems insane, maybe. I'm perhaps doubting, I'm doubting that most fundamental proposition that I exist. I have doubted my own other fundamental propositions like there is a God. Um, In our most insecure states, we come to be paranoid about the most essential pillars of our lives, right? Maybe my best friend actually kind of hates me, right? Uh, Maybe my parents, I think they love me, but maybe they don't. Why is this person this love of my life person in the bed next to me is suddenly a stranger uh, that I don't know. I don't, and I have doubts about whether they care about me anymore, right? It was once a given that I would grow up and get married and have kids and work a job I love, and now I'm older. And this is not the very personal eyes, this is the larger eye. Uh, <laughs> now I'm older and I'm alone and I no longer really want kids and I no longer trust that this life I have doubts that this life that I thought was the true life uh, is still that true life. And so, in this way, doubt takes on a character we are often unaccustomed to when it comes to this stuff. Uh, Again, we tend to think of religious beliefs in the first way. Snow is white, God is real, the the body is risen. Um, And I think, again, that we think of this way most often because we associate talking about religious beliefs with the public theater. So because we're kind of defending ourselves, we feel like, or we feel like we have an insecurity about uh, whether religion is real, we immediately put it against stuff like science and all that kind of stuff. So that's why we tend to think about it. But if you really examined yourself, religious belief would be a little bit more towards the other side. I, again, asked the question, similar to what I asked on Easter about the body, if we think that the confirmation of some event or thing as real fact would hush all the anxieties and doubts we have, I think that's a false idol. I don't know that it would make a difference to me if I knew, if I was sucked back in time and there is this dude named Noah and he's on the ark and I'm like, oh shit, there are two of each animal. Like, um, I wouldn't come back here and, be, and f- suddenly feel secure in my faith and f- suddenly feel like my life and these anxieties I have about who I am and what I'm doing and doubting myself would really change that much. Peter sees Jesus walking underwater, right? And so Peter's kind of a huge clown in the Bible. Uh, he always does stupid things. And so he's kind of like a child. He's sitting there in this boat. And he sees Jesus walking, but he doesn't quite believe it's Jesus. So he's like, show me, Jesus, that it's really you. And so Jesus is like, fine, come. And Peter gets out of the boat. He starts walking on the water. I imagine um, this is going to be a really bad movie reference, but all the other disciples are on the boat. And they're like, you're doing it, Peter. Um, <laughs> You, get, you guys know where that's from? Yeah. Yes. It's from Hook. Yes. 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 
I may strike that from the recorded thing, right? So he's walking on the boat, you know, they're cheered, they're like, oh my God, you're doing it. Um, and then the story says that he looks around and then there's like a lot of wind and suddenly he's like, oh shit, I'm walking on water. Uh, and he starts sinking. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus, having pulled him up, says, you are you of little faith. You of little faith, why did you doubt? That's the question he says. You of little faith, why did you doubt? I think wrapped up in everything I'm trying to say is this question. Why do you doubt? I don't think it's a question we actually ask ourselves ever. We're more about having our doubts answered, but we don't often ask ourselves why we are doubting in the first place. You're on the water, you're walking, it's happening, and all of a sudden, you doubt it. Why did you doubt? Where is this doubt coming from? And what does it have to do with anything happening in your life? Is this doubt really about some proposition that you need factual evidence for? Is it because you didn't eat enough that day and your blood sugar is low and you feel like a terrible human being? Uh, does it arise? Does this doubt come from me being insecure about myself? Uh, can we meet doubt at a, a root rather than at its extension in some way? I'm sort of asking a lot of questions. I hope someone else will answer. I'm going to close here by saying that I think that doubt has had a particularly um, unhelpful relationship to Christianity historically, and which is always to say, which is to say that they've always had a bit of a an antagonistic relationship. I won't say always. I mean there are many strains and thinkers who've been very good about it, but in, the, in a large sense, uh, doubt is often treated as some, some sort of cancer that you have to get rid of. Uh, again, if you have faith, have faith, have enough faith, have more faith, you can walk on water, you can move mountains, you can see the dead rise. Uh, do not have doubt. It's as if faith needs to put this eternal like vice grip on doubt and just like choke it out, you know. Yeah. I think this has caused us to really stigmatize doubt in the, in the religious world, right? Don't talk about doubt. Don't express doubt. Save those questions for yourself. Uh, if you have doubt, it's because you just need to believe stronger. Um, it's something wrong with you. And I think that's whack. I think that's really dumb. Doubts need to be part of any religious conversation, right? And they need to be part of conversation spaces like this. Uh, they need to be both explicit and implicit. A say, an ability for us to express them and also to acknowledge that we all carry them, even if we don't express them. Doubt, I'm not saying doubt is a good thing in and of itself. It's not like, here's doubt and doubt is good. What I'm saying is, as we think about kind of what I've said prior to about our beliefs and anxieties and where doubt comes from, um, what doubt may help us do is to actually diagnose things in our lives. Does that make sense? It, if you examine where your doubt comes from, it's like a doctor asking, oh, where does it hurt? Right? If we are able to interrogate our doubts and, and get a sense of their roots, we're able to then 
give that, give that area of our life a special attention it needs or care that it needs. This is again different than a mentality like, uh, oh, you have a tumor, you should uh, not talk about it and you should uh, ignore it and hopefully it'll go away. Uh, it's not like that, right? We're talking about doubt as a diagnosis for us to live healthier lives by our expression of them, by our care of them, by our uh, bringing them into spaces like this um, and seeing where they match up with anxieties and insecurities and pain in our lives. <laughs>